Today on the show, we learn how to take our superpowers that we've learned from past jobs and past careers and utilize those and propel ourselves to the next phase of our journey. Today's show is sponsored by the book For You From Me by Raj Daniels. If you don't know Raj, make sure you check out his interviews on this show I did for episodes one and two. The book it's a daily dose of focus. This is not motivation by any means. That's fleeting. Raj's book is a perfect blend of the practical and the inspiring. A clear vision of how you should be approaching life presented in a way that is simple to take action on. This is how I start my mornings, with a quick lesson from Raj's book. It shifts my mind and anchors in an often new perspective for my day. And that's so important. Because it's not what happens to us throughout the day, but how we interpret what happens and how we choose to respond. Having more choices in how we craft those responses is incredibly powerful. So head over to Amazon and grab your copy today. Real quick before we get started, if you're here watching or listening, you've got some tie to this beautiful world of business of ours. Maybe you're an entrepreneur or consultant or a sales or marketing pro looking to network and get in front of more prospects. Maybe you're building your personal brand from inside the corporation you work for. Or maybe you have a cause that you're passionate about and want to spread the word. Video can help with all of these. We hear that a lot, but it's a big leap from knowing you should be doing it and understanding how. From knowing what to say to making sure you remain credible in the process. Let me help you with this. I've been creating great content for people just like you for 26 years now. I'll help you figure out the type of videos you need and what to say in order to get your message across and what you can do yourself and what you need help with. But getting your videos created is only half of it. How do you get them seen? I can help you optimize your videos to get found in search and develop a detailed strategy to get your videos in front of your target audience helping sell to the prospect before they ever meet you. Head over to croft.media. From there, you can reach out to me for a free strategy session. I look forward to connecting with you. How's it going, everybody? Jason Croft here, the Credibility Craftsman. And today on the show, we've got Tracy Tim. And she has developed this company and brand and curriculum that is just phenomenal. It, so many of us, I think, get trapped in certain areas of our lives and especially when it comes to careers and jobs. And, and not only do we not know how to get out of where we are, but more importantly, we don't know where to go to. And Tracy's own journey has led her to this path to create all this that only she could create because she's been on this winding path that she's been on, been in a job that would be so many people's dream job, working for a large bank in Manhattan, but that wasn't a fit for her. So that job and that role and how she felt in it and figuring her way out um, was really the start that's led her to what she's created today, which is, is pretty phenomenal. We go through a lot of her journey that's um, so many critical, important lessons all along the way that can be applied to, to so many of us, um, not just in jobs and careers, but in life in general. So without further ado, let's jump in with Tracy Tim. I know, I'm so excited. Yes. Um, she's so excited to be here. She had no idea 
We were going to be in a car. It was in a car. Actually, you know what? I went and had lunch today with Josh McFall. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, that show in the car. And I was like, oh. No, no, no not that one. Uh, no, yeah, not yeah, that I, show in that car. Yeah, I love it. Ridiculous. I know. So I recently re-ran into Tracy at yes. Aaron Smith's Entrepreneur Summit, which was fantastic. Your presentation was fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, that I'm was a just fun speech that. to give. <laughs> it was no, a good room. It really it, it was a good room. It was a good room. And, and honestly, because I, I know we talked about this afterwards, that um, you can tell people who are just in it, you know, when yeah. they're giving that presentation. And you just, everything was just so, it comes across as effortless and natural. Oh, and, gosh. And awesome. And Thank just, you. Just great things. So what exactly right now, I want to go back and dig into stuff. But right now, yeah. what is your specialty out in the world? <sighs> okay, so there's two things that my business does. Yep. The first and, and probably the foremost and my greatest passion, honestly, is working with young professionals and helping them to find work that they love sooner in life nice. so they can have a greater impact later. And that was born out of a personal misery moment for me <laughs> because my very first job out of college, I absolutely hated. Oh. I had a behavioral psychology degree that I loved and I had a job in finance that did not serve me. So I was at a bank, a large investment bank, living right outside of Manhattan. and Which worked, sounds awesome. Oh, listen, I worked <laughs> on a sales and trading floor. I was trading, you know, millions of dollars of debt every day. I had an expense account. I had a car service. I had cool clients in the city, and I could take them out to awesome dinners. And it we would go to, really awesome. We'd go to, like, big tennis matches and baseball games. and I mean, like, everything that you think you want out of a job. Right. All the cool, fun stuff. And yet the majority of that job outside of those fun, cool perks was sitting at a desk surrounded by four computer screens, all with like Bloomberg or spreadsheets or, you know, email or whatever on them and, uh, and doing, you know, trades and stuff like for 12 hours a day. Oh. So you're in the chair. Yeah. If you're ever up from the chair and you miss a call, you're screwed because I was a salesperson and that means somebody was going to trade somewhere else. So the bank, bank's losing money. And I was being yelled at by angry people all day long. <laughs> like that was my life for two and a half years. Wow. And so, how, so how does this, cause I, I know that I had the insight on your background a little bit, but how did you end up there with the psychology <laughs> degree and Oh, this is a good one too. So, uh, so, okay. I was really fortunate, uh, that I had great grades in high school and I got recruited to play a sport in college. So I ended up going to Yale and Very playing nice. softball, Fantastic. which is an awesome opportunity. I learned a ton there. I got to meet cool people and work outside. You know, I was born and raised in Flower Mound, Texas. So I had my eyes opened a little bit nice. yes. and, uh, and really learned quite a lot about humanity. Uh, but I, so I studied behavioral psychology. That was the first time I'd ever gone to study anything outside of kind of the normal, you know, science, history, whatever right. that you study in high school at, at a public school. And, uh, and I loved it. I fell in love with it. I knew I had known for a long time that I always loved people and their stories and whatever, but I didn't know how that could translate into a field of study or work. Sure. Um, and so I figured out the field of study part, didn't figure out the work part <laughs> by the time I graduated. And so I remember going to even, you know, our career services people and saying, Hey, like, I have no idea what I want to do. Like, here's what I've done. And I had done some sales in the past, you know, the job you have in college or whatever. Right. Like I sold Cutco knives for two summers, <laughs> made a ton of money, Nice. Uh, learned how to sell, which is a good skill. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that was not my calling, you know, to sell knives uh, forever. So, uh, so I went to them and said, Hey, you know, here's what I studied. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. And they were like, you know, 
what you should do. And I'm, I'm like waiting, like, what, what should I do? And they're like, well, you were an athlete and you like psychology. You should be a sports psychologist. And I was like, lady, <laughs> if you think I hadn't thought of that and then came here and asked you to figure that, like, are you, ki- are you kidding me? What are they paying you? Like, I just, I, and then I was she, she was out like that's, that was that's, it. that's what she had. That was all they had. And, and there were, they, it was shocking to me that there wasn't even like, a behavioral assessment or like a test I could take a book. I like, they didn't recommend anything. They, they just, just said, good luck. Right. They just and, said, what do you like? And that was it. Yeah. It was wow. so strange. And so I, I just remember thinking back then, like, well, sh- crap. Like, I don't, I don't, is this a swearing show? Of course. Can I swear on the show? Okay. It's Shit. It's I did not know what I was going to do. <laughs> so, um, so Yale also has kind of a culture where there's a lot of competition among the students and, you know, you have to get a job before you graduate. It's like a thing. Like it's your new status symbol. It's no longer like, you know, I have this, this, and this GPA. It's like, oh, I got offers from McKinsey and Bain and I'm trying to make a decision, you know, stuff like that. But meanwhile, it's September of your senior year. So like, not only do you have a whole nother year of school where you write your, you know, at at Yale, you have to write a a senior thesis, which I don't think a lot of schools make undergraduates do, but But even that could be a part of your field of study, whatever. So there's so much more time, but there's all this pressure to have it figured out. So there's this massive uh, career fair in September every year there. And they bring on everybody, all the usual suspects that you think like a Yale grad would would quote unquote want or be expecting. So we've got all these consulting firms, tons of banking and, you know, investment banking, et cetera. Um, Grad schools, like MBA programs, Fortune 500 companies. And then surprisingly, a large amount of NGOs, like a lot of Peace Corps and whatnot, like a pretty big contingent of Yale will end up just moving to Africa and like saving babies. And, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of politics, like a lot of people go on to work at Capitol Hill and DC. Makes and stuff. Sense. Okay. So there I am. And like, you know, I have these big six options as I see them. And I'm walking around like, I don't know if I want to give my resume to Anheuser-Busch, <laughs> but here, since you're here, like um, Abercrombie and Fitch, like it was just this really awkward thing where like, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah, they were, were all looking were... for me to be super excited about what right. they had to offer. And I was like, I don't even. And you're hoping just to see something in the sea of all this. That's inspiring. Right. right. That's like, oh, that could, that sounds, you know, but no, yeah. it's booth after booth after, after booth of the same thing. And so at the end of it, I'm like totally totally jaded have no and now i feel even worse right and my friend holly at the time had just come back from a uh, semester in scotland she had studied abroad yeah nice. so she had been walking around and she saw this bank called the royal bank of scotland and so she just went over to talk to them thinking there would be scottish people there um like if you're watching this holly i'm sorry I know, like, <laughs> but she's the reason that i applied for this job because she's she's talking to this girl and the the woman ended up explaining that it was actually an investment bank and da 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 and she said but they were hiring for salespeople and so ding like holly's brain goes off and said tracy sold cutco knives i bet you she could sell whatever they're talking about so she ran over to me and she's like come talk to this come talk to this company with me and so that's when they give you the spiel on we take our clients to Oh, tennis yeah. matches All the and great. baseball games. You have an expense account. <laughs> I eat at awesome dinners, blah, 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 blah. Like it's a cool lifestyle if that's what you want. But 
Uh, I didn't know that that was not what I wanted. Yes. And honestly, and this is, this makes me look bad, but it's the truth. I didn't realize what they did. Like I was applying for a oh. job where I had no idea what oh. sales and trading was. So you didn't do your research before. I, it's a bad habit of mine hmm. to uh, not do research because. I, I know how the Royal Bank of Scotland feels now. Oh, and I know, mm. right? As does everybody I ever work with. <laughs> like, did you think about, no, sorry. I, I thought it could work. I thought it could work. Uh, but no, that's great. And that's the thing too. Like, and probably if that was the only part of the job that you were doing, probably get down with that for a little while longer. But the 12 hours a day <laughs> sitting at the computer screen. Yeah, come to find out uh, what this job was really about. And honestly, you know, I didn't even get a first round interview. This is like how bad I, badly I was set up for this job. Didn't get a first round interview. Was kind of devastated at that point because then even uh, Teach for America had told me no. Like, like, no, like I couldn't even do good in the world. Like I could, like, it was just a bad, my senior year, I was, I was totally depressed. I'm like, I'm a horrible person for laughing, but <laughs> I, I seriously, I'm like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a smart Yale graduate. Almost, and I can't and like, teach I, I, somebody something. Oh, no, it, was, no. it was really depressing. The kids are, the kids are bad enough off yes, they without don't you. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, bad. so, uh, literally the night before the first round interviews for RBS, they called me up just like at five or six o'clock and the interviews are all the day next day and I didn't get one. And they're like, are you free at exactly 1135 AM tomorrow? And I'm like, for what? They're like an interview. I'm like, what happened? Somebody got the swine flu. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got it. Yes. So I got an interview spot, and uh, and so honestly, now I'm like, well, crap! I need to figure out what this job is. Right. So I go online. I kind of do some research, and none of it makes sense. But I'm like, I need to know some finance things for this interview, right? I spent the whole night like watching MSNBC, listening to like everything from <laughs> Bloomberg. Like I like learned what the Dow was. Like I, you guys, like it's embarrassing That's how little, awesome. how little I knew about finance back then. But, anyway, go ahead. But worked hard to, like, excel at this interview, right? Right. And... And that's the thing, too. It's an... I, I'm not even kidding. Like, it's an amazing skill set to be able to prep that quickly and go in and impress somebody enough. That is an amazing, amazing skill. Thank you. Yeah. It was quite an adventure. And I, uh, anyway, got prepared for the interview for the next day and went in and was just like, you know what? I'm just going to be myself. And... If, if they like me, great, if, yeah. you know, but I, I can't pretend like I'm one of these kids who is an econ and a math major and what, like, there's no, they're going to see that. So right. I'm just going to be myself. And I was, and I won these guys over like that. Like just, they were, I still remember them to this day, Mike Cannon and Dave Chappie, they were like total bros, hilarious. And, you know, if you think about it, a trading floor is like a massive fraternity. Like you're yeah. sitting for 12 hours a day around people. And if you don't like them, they're going to baptize you by fire. Right. So if you don't like them, it's not worth it. Right? right. Like it's just not. And so they were looking at me going, is this the kind of person that someone on the trading floor is going to want to sit next to for 12 hours a day? Not does this girl know the ins and outs of, you know, green shoe theory. And right. All this whatever, because right? also at the end of the day too, it is a sales job. Exactly. All this trading. Yeah. Exactly. So before the interview is even over, they're like, you're going to make it to the second round. 
Come to find out two years later, I got both of them drunk at a holiday party and they were like, you were our favorite interview of the day. And I'm like, me? And they're like, yeah, you were a real human. Everybody else that we interviewed was like trying to tell us what they thought we wanted to hear or how uh, impressive uh, they were at math or whatever. And you, that, you were like yourself. That's an amazing lesson, honestly, to Did take out of that. Learn a lot. Yeah. Although I wish I could say it got me into the right job. It got me into the wrong job. But <laughs> that um, was you know, but it was a job. Right. So I graduated college with a job and I got a signing bonus, got an amazing, you know, salary and a nice bonus check. And so my first year out of college, I made six figures. That's beautiful. It is. Uh, once you don't have to sell your soul for it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, so fast forward through two years of misery. Yes. Which What's... Did, did not feel like fast forwarding at all. Right. <laughs> and, and you're, you're in, I mean, that, yeah. That's a big leap, even in the misery, even in, yeah. like, I don't belong. And there's, so then there's two things, right? There's one, I have to get out of this. Yeah. What am I going to do? But then also. Those are two things, two separate things too. Yeah. I have like, to leave. What am I going to do? <laughs> but yeah, and that's it. But then also, like, there's still the same questions that you had way back when you were still in college. Like, what do I want to do with exactly. this thing? Exactly. Exactly. Big picture wise. And now I'm two, three years down this other road that I don't want to go down. So I've got to go back right, right. and figure out what it is. And so the fear of even just starting over, right. Oh, of, yeah. And that's something that I work with clients on now is this idea that, you know, you, you haven't wasted time. You know, nothing mm -hmm. is wasted. If, if you can really look at your experiences and learn something from them, right. right then you haven't wasted that time. But, right. but it's a scare. It's a tempting feeling to just say, Oh, well I wasted those two and a half years because I don't want to do this job. Oh yeah. So yeah, it was a big, it was a big step to even be okay with leaving, you know? Oh, yeah. So, so what is that? When does, when does that finally hit? What's the, the point that you're just like, I, I've got to go, I've got to do something else. You want to hear this story? It's a good story. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, okay. So the bank went through a lot when I was there. Uh, I started at the end, like the middle to end of 2010, um, you know, in August ish. And then I, I ended up leaving December of 2012. So I was there for two and, you know, two and a half ish years. Okay. And while I was there, so, you know, we'd just gone through the great recession, right? Mm -hmm. And then in 2011, that was the year that the United States got downgraded by S&P as a credit, right, from AAA to like AA plus or whatever it was. And so now you had this phenomenon where companies within the United States, headquartered in the United States, had better credit ratings than the United States, and and the markets didn't know what to do with it. And that was in yeah. the that was like June, July, if I can remember correctly, of 2011. And so for five days in a row, the Dow dropped 500 points every day. For five days in a row. And I didn't work in the in the um, the equities side. I was in credit, which was bonds and loans, mm -hmm. and particularly um, high yield or junk bond credit. So that was like failing companies, defaulted, like, um, you know, the, the Toys R Us, if you will, of gotcha. like back then. Right. And we did trade Toys R Us back then. <laughs> I think we could have seen that one coming. You know? Right. But anyway, which is so sad. So many, I know. So I many went, people aren't going to know Jeffrey. Did you go and I went into one of those stores just Recently, a couple of weeks ago? Oh, it, so sad. Like empty shelves and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so sad. I'm a, oh, no, that's that's like a diaper commercial. What's the, what's the, do you remember the, I don't Jeffrey? Grow up. Oh, I'm a Toys R Us kid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a million toys we of Toys R Us that I can play with. Yeah. Although now there's not. Yeah. Uh, so, oh. so sad. Um, anyway, so, so our desk, I mean, people were just like unloading positions, freaking out, buying and selling crap. We had no idea what was going to happen. Oh, we didn't yeah. know where the bottom was. Like it was like by noon on Tuesday, 
we were all exhausted exhausted like you just you, we just sat there and we're like i'm a zombie so what ended up happening with with rbs specifically was um the, the bank took a big like took a bath and lost a bunch of money from what i can tell and was going through a couple really hard quarters and i think that they had probably already started the idea that they were going to exit the united states perhaps um which who knows right if that's really true or sure. not but uh, the long story short, the result on the trading floor was that by the time um, November rolled around, massive layoffs. Like we lost, oh. we lost a third, no, like a quarter of the trading floor completely. <coughs> so 900 people, like a third of those people were gone. Wow. And then, uh, let's see, a quarter of the trading floor, a third of the credit desk as a whole, which was um, high yield and distressed and, um, oh my God bonds that are good. I sound like an idiot. It's better than high yield. Like high rated credits and then, um, you know, like Walmart, and whatever. Sure. And then, uh, so wow, this blue, is a good time to chip. have a, blue, like sure, a, those are stocks. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but similar, yeah, <laughs> similar things. Uh, I sound like a dum-dum. This is why I don't work there anymore. S&P. Uh, yes. NASDAQ. <laughs> I'm just naming anything. Buy. Like, sell. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea. So anyway, we lost ha like a, a third of the credit desk and we lost half of our high yield sales desk. So literally a guy, like my boss walked down the middle, middle of the aisle of all the salespeople and just like tapped people on the shoulder and people were gone. Like Doug Doug Goose? Yes. Oh my gosh. And then they were up and gone and two minutes later their screens went black and three minutes after that somebody from HR came crawling in and like emptied their desks and then they were never seen again. It was like the reaping. It was like something out of like a, what's his face? Kirk Cameron, like the <laughs> left behind, like poof, they were gone. And like, you know, we were the ones left behind. Um, it was devastating. Wow. It was told, that's how layoffs happen at Wall Street, in case you wanted to know. So Yikes. it was. That's, uh, that's, that's the way you get the troops going, too. Yeah, right? so that had happened in 2011. And so they consolidated our desk with another desk, the distress team, and it was run by a trader. And so that was difficult in and of itself. But the writing was kind of on the wall, if I was being honest. Like, there was a mismatch. They could tell I didn't really want to be there. I knew I didn't really want to be there. And I had a really good friend, Matt, who I was talking to at the time, who worked for Morgan Stanley, and he was working in investment banking. He's like, listen, if you don't make this choice for yourself, it's going to be made for you. And that might not be the route you want to go. And and that's true. I think to this day, I, I believe that like companies can tell when you're not engaged, when you're not excited. And, oh, and yeah. especially in today's market, like you're going to get replaced or yeah. let go, right? Because right. people can't handle the toxicity that that creates and, you know, the, the negative impact on culture. Although I know that nobody on Wall Street is worried about culture, uh, but you get what I mean, right? right so, sure. so he was like, you know, you need to see, see this for what it is and, and maybe make your own decision. Now, I wasn't ready to do that. I was miserable and trying to come around to that idea of, of leaving and because I didn't, again, know what I wanted to do next. Right. But so you, you didn't want to leave with just but no jump plan. off a cliff. No and, plan. Right. Yeah. And then I had my mom in my ear going, can't leave a job without another job, which is a great idea <laughs> uh, and works for some people. It yeah. did not end up working out for me. So what ended up happening was that same weekend I talked to my friend Matt. I was at a wedding with some friends in um, South Bend at Notre Dame. And uh, I went to the reception afterwards, and I was so upset and miserable about this whole job thing that I was outside on the curb crying. And oh, if you know me, goodness. and my high school friends knew me, I love nothing more than weddings. I love really? weddings. It's an open bar. Two people are in love. Everybody's <laughs> dancing. Like, what's not to love, right? Like, great food. Right. Awesome dessert. I, I just, I love weddings. Weddings are my jam. If you're out there listening and you want to invite me to your wedding, 
Just do it. call me. <laughs> I'm a really good date. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, I go to this wedding. I'm miserable. Another friend of mine comes outside, also named Matt, coincidentally, and says, like, this is so not you. Like, something is wrong. Like, because your high school friends know you. You yeah. know, they know when you're not being yourself. And uh, so, yeah, I, I literally flew home the next day, wrote out my angry I'm quitting speech on my iPad. And, and then I went in the next day after, uh, to work and, and gave it. <laughs> wow. I had sat down my head, the head of our desk and my sales partner and said, you know, I'm just not, it's not happening. I'm so miserable and here, here, here is why. And, oh, and yeah. I, I got to go. Um, I was walking to the bathroom one day, actually, and I just got off the phone with my mom. This literally happened. Uh, and I was like, mom, I just don't know what to do. I think I'm just going to put everything in storage and I'm going to go on a trip around the world. And I had been Googling like STA, student travel, mm -hmm. you know, um, trips around the world. And for people 26 and under, they'll give you these amazing discounted rates for tickets. Oh, wow. Word to the wise, if you're under 26. And so I'm looking at that and, you know, I hang up the phone and, and she's like, take a breath. <laughs> like, don't, you know, you're going to be fine. So I walk down the aisle. And I, I overhear Martin as I'm walking say, yeah, my son just got back from this trip around around the world on semester at sea. And I'm like, like what? <laughs> trip around the world? Like I was just talking about that. And so he goes on to tell me about what semester at sea is. And it's this undergraduate study abroad program where these where kids will live on a ship for a semester instead of living in one particular place. And uh, really just get to experience a whole bunch of different countries and and you know take classes on the boat and whatever else and i'm like in my head i'm like huh well he's in college like that doesn't help me right. but then i go look at it and the website says they take grad graduate students or post grads i think they call nice. them and uh and the very next semester spring 2013 was called trip around the world and i was like all right i can take a hint yes <laughs> you know Forget you teach for america yeah right uh. i found somebody who wants me <laughs> <laughs> well i had to convince them to want me because the post-grad program was not very well trafficked oh really but they will take your money so you know if you add to the quote-unquote campus culture on the mm -hmm. boat and uh and you can pay then you know then you can go. And I had, um, this is a fun, funny story too. I had squirreled away a ton of money, like, cause I knew I didn't want to stay there. I was yeah. like, Oh, you guys are going to Nobu. I'm going to eat leftovers at home. Like, you know, and save that. Yeah. So by the time I left, I had saved a good chunk of money and I had a great amount in my 401k. So I was pretty well taken care of financially, but it was still the idea of leaving without a job was still really scary. Of course. Because you're growing a life, right? And, and you're told your whole life, like, to take care of yourself and I was an only child and I felt like I owed that to my parents the whole nine so oh yeah um so yeah I ended up calling up their financial aid office because as far as FAFSA was concerned the government was not giving me any money they're like you've made six figures multiple years right. in a row like <laughs> you screw you you don't do right but this was a, a non-profit that ran the run semester at sea so it's private so I called up their financial aid office and was like I have x what would it take for me to get to Y? Like I, I could pay for, I think it was half of the investment for the program. And she was like, okay, well, um, you know, we have a couple of scholarships. So why don't you go on there, apply? And so I applied for all four of the scholarships that they offered. I received all four in various amounts, equaling exactly half of the cost of the <laughs> trip. <laughs> and perfect. all because I asked. Yeah. All because I asked. And, uh, and I found That's out huge. literally like 24 hours later. So as soon as that came through, I was like, I'm going. Right. Oh yeah, I'm definitely going because the idea of paying for all of it and being at literally almost at zero was really terrifying. But paying for half, I was like, I can stomach that. Yeah. But still, you know, you make those payments every month, and you're like, Oh God, is this the right thing to Ouch. do? And, but I knew I would regret 
not doing it and I knew I would regret leaving without any idea of what I was going to do next. So, so you jump into that. What was that like? Amazing. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, you're living on a boat. It's basically like a defunct cruise ship. It's got seven stories, it's got a pool at the top. Um, and every day you're on the ship, you take a class. So they had A and B days. So like half my classes are on A days, half are on B days. And then anytime you port, make port, uh, Hawaii, Japan, China, Vietnam, Singapore, Burma, India, South Africa, Ghana, Morocco, Spain, like you're just there for like five or six days and you can travel, you can take excursions, you can do whatever you want. It's amazing. And the reason that I, the, the real reason that I ended up making this a viable option for myself and kind of convincing myself that it wasn't just this like, you know, total revelry and whatever, that I could maybe get a job from it was because there was, for that particular um, cycle or semester, there was a social enterprise incubator that was traveling with us. Oh, very so cool. this incubator that was focused specifically on for-profit companies that were doing some kind of social good. Mm -hmm. And there were 12 companies going through that cycle and they traveled with us too. So everywhere we stopped, you know, Cambodia, <laughs> Hong Kong, like you name it, new mentors got on the ship and new and old mentors got off the ship. Uh -huh. And the mentors for this program were outstanding. Like the Archbishop Desmond Tutu was there for a couple months. Um, Tom Chi, who invented Google Glass. Uh, Jeff Hoffman, who was one of the co-founders of Priceline. He's worked on UBID. He's been a part of all kinds of cool wow. stuff. Um, just all these heavy hitters kept coming on and off the ship. And so we were, you know, and I was enrolled in the class that was really closely involved with the incubator called mm -hmm. Global Sustainable Entrepreneurship. That was the name of the class. And all we ended up studying was design thinking because the guy who was running the class was George Kemble, who was the founder of the Stanford D School, which honestly, if you haven't looked into that, you need to. It's amazing. It's this really cool design theory and design thinking school that sits above all the grad schools. And so if you're like an MBA, you can elect to take courses within the D School to like iterate around an idea that you have for a business or something like that that it's super cool um and really like woke me up because i had been in a job where i was surrounded by other people who were miserable like wow. and everybody who was there so it wasn't just you no yeah everybody was miserable to the point where i was like why are we all doing this <laughs> like you're miserable i'm miserable like and and you saw that you're working towards these positions where these people are still unhappy mm. and you're like if that's the goal <laughs> and it's not right. any better than here, like, you know, what am I doing? Well, yeah. uh, so it really put me around people who were full of possibility again. And that's like the best way I can describe it. They were open, they were seeking, they were happy. Like, oh, yeah. Doing um, something meaningful in the world. Or looking oh. for it, right? They uh, were, they were yeah. open to the idea that that was possible and that you could make great money and build businesses around doing something good for people. And so, um, what, 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 so what was the spark in all of that? What did you see and how did that start to manifest in the, in the oh, I can do that? Mm. Like, was there a spark of that then or was it still just the possibility of it? So it was percolating for sure. I think the greatest thing that that trip gave me was mentorship in, in so far as I finally met people who could mirror back to me what I was good at. And who could show okay. me that I hadn't wasted all that time, that I could pull something out of the RBS experience and, and use it going forward, even if I never wanted to do finance gotcha. again. You know, I had That's really huge. great people. Yeah. yeah, people that I engaged with that 
honestly informed a lot some of the coaching that I that I do now with mm-hmm. young professionals to help them realize like hey I, you know I, I see you've been a consultant for three to five years and you think that now because you don't want to ever be a consultant again you've wasted all that time well here's all the things you can pull out of it that actually any other company would find really valuable oh, yeah. but it's just you know that list of who you've worked with you know yeah leverage all of that or... hard to think about that though you know when you're mm-hmm. when you're in it when it's your life sure. and it's your job your career so so that's what I got the most out of that. But because I was around the incubator, all the seeds were planted of like starting a business is possible and you can do something big and it can be really impactful. And so that kind of got started as well. Uh, but honestly, I put so much pressure on that trip to find my next job that I wish if I could go back and do anything differently, I don't have any regrets, but I wish I hadn't put so much pressure on it and I just enjoyed the experience more. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like, okay, this is the answer. I've got to find them. Exactly. It's like, well, yeah. I'm spending all this money. I have to figure out my next job from this. Otherwise, it was a waste. And that's just not true. Like, yeah. There, there's no way that seeing 30 countries in six months, oh. like, and meeting all those cool people, there's no way that's ever going to be a waste. Right. You know? Uh, anyway, so I actually ended up becoming good friends with Jeff Hoffman, because he's also a Yale grad. So we, um, we bonded over that, and he offered me a job before I got off the boat. Uh, and so I was just like, happy days, like this, this whole experiment worked out, da, 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 da. And then fast forward mm, two, three months later, and I find out that job doesn't exist. Yeah, I know. Talk what? about like pulling like the carpet out from under you, is that what they say? Like yeah, just, how, how yeah. does that happen? So it was with a, a startup that he had co-founded with another guy. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about the startup world, you can't tell somebody there's going to be a job five days from now, let alone two, three <laughs> right. months from now. And, True. and so either they hadn't grown to the capacity that they had expected, or I think they'd had some like, uh, you know, con- con- contraction, contraction, condensing, Attention. they'd shrunk it a little bit, uh, to the point where, you know, this, there wasn't a job to be had. Oh. And I was devastated. Dev- oh, as you yeah. can imagine, right? Like here you are. I'm like, you pinned everything on. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And I had spent, you know, I'm like, well, now that I have a job, I'm going to backpack around Europe. Now that I have a job, I'm going to go live in Southern California for a little bit with my <laughs> own uncle. Like, you know, I, and I was just waiting to be called up to the big leagues as you, as, as it were, um, in Chicago. And it never, it never happened. And, oh my goodness. I know. Talk about a bummer. Yeah. So, so what's that period of time then? So you get slapped in the face with that. Yep. And in this in this stage, so you're still job 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 job. Yeah, I was, I was, and and the idea of doing anything outside the box was still like too scary. Mm-hmm. You know, which looking back on it, it's funny, you know, hindsight being what it is. Um, it shouldn't have been that scary. I, I did the hardest thing I thought I could ever do, which was quit a really fancy right. high power job. Right. So yeah, what ended up happening was. Um, we had to go all the way back a year, actually, to get to this story. So while I was still at the bank, um, I had read a book by this woman named Nina Godiwala. And I've uh, since I since profiled her on my podcast, too. She's pretty awesome. She had written this whole book called Suits, A Woman on Wall Street. And it was all about her time in the early 90s working like for J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley as a woman and a uh, Pakistani immigrant uh, from Houston, of all places. So, like... She was the trifecta of diversity. Right. You, know? <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't write it better. And it was really a part of investment banking that was pretty toxic back then. Yeah. So she wrote this kind of like tell all memoirish thing and then 
uh, wrote about how she got out of it and then how she was helping other companies solve those same types of cultural problems, lack of leadership, diversity, mm. emotional intelligence, all that kind of stuff. So I read that book and was like, oh my God, this is me. You know, like I'm living parallel lives with this woman. Um, just, you know, like 20 years later. And uh, so I, I found her email address online and just reached out to her. And was like, I'd love to talk to you more because I feel like, you know, I really need your help or whatever I said. Yeah. Sent it, forgot about it. <laughs> Quit my job, find semester C, go on semester C, come back, think I have this job. Job gets ripped out from underneath me. Two days later, she emailed me back. Yep. She, I was living in Southern California with my aunt and uncle at the time. I was devastated about this job. I had a friend have to like talk me off the ledge. Like it was it was bad. And she emailed me back and, and her email, I kid you not, said, um, hey, I'm so sorry I missed this email. I had a baby this time last year. So I'm just now getting around to all these old emails. I'm like, who does that? Like who even goes back goes back a year to old eve like i just i was i was beyond shocked that she that she did that so i was like this is fake like i gotta call this woman so i did we talked for literally an hour and a half and i told her she had to hire me (laughs) she was like so what are you doing now i'm like working for you (laughs) (laughs) big smile like pause hold the hold the pause uh you know Make the, make the silence awkward. Make right. her say yes. You know, the whole sales thing. And uh, she's like, you know what? Yeah, I could use some help. Because she, this book had gone off. It had gone really well. And, uh, and so she had started speaking a lot uh, after the media that she got about it. And then companies were saying, hey, like, if you speak about this, can you help us solve it? You know, training, et cetera. And so she was building out the training side of her business. Awesome. Meanwhile, I had really discovered that my passion was working with people and on people. And so I was gunning towards the personal and professional development kind of world. I just didn't know what that was going to manifest in yet. So I had done, um, <clears throat> you know, informational interviews at like the Googles and the Facebooks of the world that have cool, progressive, you know, people departments yeah. and thought like, yeah, I think I could do something like that. And so there, here was this opportunity to move back to Texas because she was based in Houston and, uh, and work for her. So I did that. Awesome. Yeah. Craziness. And and that see the other thing that that you know the the two and a half years of misery gives you <laughs> though in well but it gives you it gives you credibility even though it's mm. way off in left field. Yeah. And even now you know when you're on stage or you're talking to a new prospect or client, I've done this this and that, that alone. Mm. You're just like it's just a level of like oh. You know, it really is. Whether you deserved it or not, yeah. Exactly. There's a there's a level of perception in that. Yeah. That's that's huge. That that alone makes it have worth having gone through it. Yeah. And so it, it allows you to, and also allows you to sort of feel, okay, I can I can talk to this lady. I can relate to this lady, mm-hmm. and put myself in there. Like I know I have value. I know I have something to offer her. Yeah. And yeah. Jump in and do that. Yeah. So you take off. You you jump in with her. Yeah, so I moved back to Dallas, worked for her remotely. She was based in Houston. And I was like person number two. Like and she was paying me next to nothing hourly, you know, via check (laughs) to, you know, help her grow the business. Um and that was quite a learning experience because again with the I've learned a lot through my life and, and I found too that um there's this great book that probably my favorite book I've ever read. It's so cheesy. It's If Life is a Game, These Are the Rules, mm-hmm. coffee table book. Um, Dr. Sheree Carter Scott. And one of the rules is you will be presented with lessons, but the very next rule is 
you'll be presented with the same lesson until you learn it. <laughs> and I am like a living, breathing example of that. <laughs> I got you there. Yeah, because yeah. damn it, if I don't get the same damn, you know, rule presented to me all the time and I just need to learn. But it happened again, right? I um, I immediately start making like unresearched fear-based decisions. Like I'm afraid to be living at home for too long. So I moved in with a roommate before I did enough research on what I could afford and before I did enough research on the roommate and was unhappy again. And then I realized I couldn't live off of what I was making with her. So I, I just like scrambled and got into all these other jobs. I worked at Lululemon seasonally selling pants. Yoga pants, the expensive ones. Uh, I worked at, oh God, I did so many online jobs, like uh, freelance writing. At one point I was writing um, online textbook content for a company called Boundless. <laughs> and apparently I was the, you know, I was writing the psychology textbook content, which I'm like, I'm not a psychology professor, but I have a degree from Yale. So like that makes me, you know. Um, just all kinds of stuff just to like make ends meet. Cause I, at the very least, I was always determined to take care of myself. Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm not going to ask people for money unless I have to. And every once in a while I did have to, but, uh, but I was really like proud in that sense. And so I got a job. I started waiting tables, waiting tables at Naked Sands Grill. Very nice. Uh, I know. Super fancy. Good spot to do. Yeah. <sighs> and, uh, <laughs> that lasted like a month. It was a terrible waitress. But, um, but again, you know, getting really scared and getting really nervous about not having like consistent healthcare and not um, having a plan and looking around at all my friends who are like, when are you going to get a real job or when are you going to figure this out? And, um, and so I went back into that fear mindset of like needing to impress other people and needing to have something that looked normal and looked right. um, secure. And I thought that would give me the feelings that I was looking for, the security, the, um, the fulfillment, you know, all the things that I had been searching around for, but wasn't getting yeah. from this, from this remote type of work. So, you know, I, I had a really good couple of hearts of hearts with some friends some family and I came to this realization that all these little seeds along the way, all the things that had happened to me or I had learned or I was naturally good at or the people that I'd come into contact with, all of that was preparing me for this final lesson of like, do the thing that you've wanted to do all along, like go do it. And I, I knew that this was a problem I wanted to solve, right? I knew that I wanted to help myself and then help other people find something that aligned with them, something meaningful work where they could be rich in every sense of the word, you know, and that they didn't have to sacrifice their mental and physical health to make six figures or to do what society said success looked like. Like there was a better formula. I just wasn't allowing myself to live it. Right. Giving, yeah, giving yourself that permission. And it's a few things that come, come, come in there though too because there's also you didn't you also didn't really have something to point to either mm. to like it's that like that really <laughs> hadn't Mm-mm. come into play at either because nobody was doing it yeah my that wasn't like a cookie cutter job or a role that i already knew existed it was starting something on my own right and being you know that being an unknown was hard to discover. And I don't have anybody in my family or my past who did entrepreneurship, whoever started their own thing. My mom's been at the same company for 28 years, 28 years. And she's like, I can't help you. <laughs> like, like, if you don't want to be in IT for the next 
35 years. Like, <laughs> I can't help you. I'm like, I love you, mom. I, I, I know. I know you can't help yeah. me. It's okay. So, it so, so how does this, this form you? So you finally sort of like, I'm yeah. listening, take the lesson, you give yourself permission. How do you start? What's step one in that? Like, oh. how do you, like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. What am I doing? Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So step like zero is deciding to do it. Right. Like the permission part, the, yep. the it's possible for me. Yeah. Um, you know, other people have done harder things, like whatever you need to do, right, to make yourself feel good about the decision. Right, and have it be, yeah, it, uh, not to take that lightly, like that, it, like when you, you really have to decide, not yes. just like, oh, I want to do that, like I'm doing that. I am doing that. And so that happened September of 2014, the decision. And the first thing that I did via some advice from an online course that I purchased, a couple other things, was research because hey guess who doesn't normally do their <laughs> research and uh and so i started to look into you know other people who had started businesses and what that looked like other people who had started similar businesses whether that was coaching or you know teaching people something right sure. in some capacity so it didn't have to be exactly what i was going to be teaching but i had learned from several mentors ahead of that that you are what you call yourself Oh, yeah. Like you are what you present yourself to the marketplace as and the confidence that you have behind it, you know, engenders more confidence and it's not fake. Like it's not right. ingenuous. It's or disingenuous. It's, um, it's reality. Like if, if you are an aspiring photographer, don't say I want to be a photographer. You say I am a photographer. Right. And the more you say that, the more you do the things that confirm what you're saying and you are a photographer. Right. So I just started calling myself that and started doing market research, not only on what the first couple of years would look like, but also what do my clients really need? So I was reaching out to anybody and everybody I knew in my age bracket, maybe a little bit older and finding out what they were really struggling with when it came to their career. And a lot of them voiced concerns around not knowing themselves very well. Like, I know myself, but I don't know how to put it into words. I don't know yeah. all these other, you know, things like that. And I thought, well, okay, some type of assessment could fix that. So I started looking around at a couple different assessments, uh, one of which I ended up falling absolutely head over heels in love with because I had the psychology degree and because I have the kind of mom that was like, here's what color is your parachute for Christmas? You know, like right. <laughs> we were all about that stuff, which is ironic that all of that prep as a child left me not knowing any idea about what I wanted to do for a career, but, but the, the foundation's digress. there that gets in there, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or that, that there are solutions, or, or if there aren't, you can create them. Right. right? Uh, so, or that that, you know, people had done that in the past for different generations. Mm -hmm. it, it had worked. So, um, so I found this behavioral assessment called the Predictive Index, and I ended and up... I think that's when, I think you were... I found that and really digging in that when we first yes. met. Yes. Um, gosh, a year or two ago. Also, I wonder ago. if I hadn't just started the podcast when we met, too. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Huh. I know. Now I'm trying to think back at how we have moved. I do remember seeing your interview with Nick Kennedy because I was working with him at Rise for a little bit. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I found this behavioral assessment, fell absolutely in love with it. Just wanted to figure out how to use it in my business and actually realized it was going to be a great way to bridge finance my own business because very immediately I was offered an opportunity to start working with companies solving the opposite side of the same problem, which is if young professionals are looking for great work and places they want to love and you know, 
jobs they're really engaged with and fulfilled by, there are presumably also companies looking for awesome employees, rock stars who are going to grow their bottom line. Right. right. So their struggle, though, was figuring out how to identify who those people were. These companies sure. really struggle to attract and engage and retain awesome people. And so I started working with this behavioral assessment, um, basically to learn that company side, because that's the side, that was the only piece I didn't have, right? I knew like where you could screw up in your career journey. I knew like how to identify what your core values are and how to identify what you're awesome at and then how to take from what you've done previously. I was a great networker naturally, so that didn't cause me to learn that component. Now it was the navigation piece that I needed some help with. And, uh, so that work with those companies ended up funding the business so that I could really, you know, focus on them probably 80% of my time. And then the 20% of my time and energy and effort was usually outside like normal working hours. Um, I focused on growing my young professional focused business and that's three and a half years ago. And it was just around January of this year that I decided to switch them. Uh, because (laughs) yeah, the 80, 20, just yeah. immediately got switched because I'm at this point with my corporate business where um, that's kind of churning on its own. I get I get warm leads coming in. Like, I don't have to do as much. Because you plant enough seeds over three years. Like, okay. literally last week, I had somebody email me and say, um, hey, we talked like two years ago. I think we're ready to move forward now. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> if I had been waiting on that, you know, God, oh, God help me. Yeah. Uh, but that en- ended up, you know, that's been going really well. So I kind of put that on the back burner. I can just take care of the people that I already have and kind of nurture the warm leads that come in. And like, that's a plenty to live off of and enough uh, for me to leverage some of it to now grow this, this young professional side. So we've been able to really move the needle exponentially this year and um, built a digital program, launched that, had a beta class go through it. It was really, really successful. Now I'm bringing on two new nth degree certified coaches that are going to help me grow that uh, program and that side of the business. And we're off to the races, I think. Wow. I'm really excited. And how are you digging, how are you getting the word out more about like just networking one by one, oh, speaking, God. all of that? Is it? <laughs> it, uh, I will say that it's been extremely surprisingly difficult to nail down where frustrated 25 to 35 year old burned out young professionals are hanging out <laughs> in mass right yeah. like when they don't have groups Bur- for that bridges. you know it's not like, like yeah <laughs> there's no aa for like you know right. these people so you have to go where they are and for most people when you're miserable you're spending like a lot of time doing non-worky things while at work so a lot of facebook a lot of like bar stool sports a lot of you know whatever um so tapping into those networks is important and then um you know, becoming a media presence, I think is really, really a big deal. But the speaking side is hands down the most effective because you immediately start to grow a relationship with people when they see you speak. They see you as an authority figure in a subject. Um, And if you tell your story in a way that's compelling, that aligns with them and what they're going through, they can't help but say like, maybe she can fix it, you know? Oh, yeah. And I can. Fun part is like this course freaking works. Like it takes eight weeks. Like I can take people who've been miserable at work for years and eight weeks later they will know what they want to do why they want to do it and how to get it like they will literally have that clarity like that moment where you're like i live so right before i got in the car right i had this testimonial call with with a client who just got done with the course and she's like it felt like the sun had opened up through the room and it was shining down on me and oh like i knew i just knew and she's like now i know now i have all this clarity and i can actually go do it like 
You know that feel like that's incredible. Have you ever had that feeling? Oh yeah. Where you just know something is right and for yeah. you and like, and and when you've yeah. never had it and when you're in a job that you're miserable at, you think you're never gonna have it. And and for me, it's usually, well, yeah, stupid. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just like oh man, that took because yeah. once you're shown it and someone holds up the mirror or something happens, it's just like oh oh yeah. Yeah. I I knew I should have done that like. Or, you know, but Never it ago. takes yeah. it takes that help, and it's I've been helped enough in that way <laughs> to forgive myself a little bit. Yeah, but it's it is that it, it oh, yeah, it's an amazing feeling. It really is. So, so that that's in, that's incredible thanks. that you've got this down and together. It's fun. It's it's it, you know it was a labor of love. I learned it a lot through stubbing my own toe along the way, and a lot through the, the epiphanies that I had along the way. But I always like to say like. I tell people like for eight weeks and you know, in eight weeks and for this nominal investment, you can learn what it took me five years and several hundred thousand dollars to learn. Right. You know? but, but honestly, that's really true. And I mean, I mean, you, you joked earlier about, you know, starting this when you, you know, lost your job and all that stuff, but that's exactly, that's who they want to learn from. That's who anyone wants to learn from is someone who's gone through this and has that story. Yeah. Thanks. It's huge. Yeah. It means a lot. And it's, What's been fun for me is that it's a way to make that story valuable when, when otherwise it might not look like right. it to me or to anybody else. Yeah, and that, that's a great point too, and I'm sure that's that's kind of what you're helping people with as well. Is that, um, yeah, those X amount of years, you could throw them in the trash. <laughs> yeah, like seriously, like what you do oh, next. We all do that. Yeah, yeah, is up to you. Here's how you turn it into something, or yeah. you throw it in the trash and, and you wasted it. You can. You're, you get you're to empowered. Choose. Right? You're right. You get to choose. And and for me, I choose, and I talk about this all the time, probably almost in every speech I give, I talk about regrets because I don't want to ever regret anything. Yeah. And that might not be a realistic thing. Like, we're always going to put our foot in our mouth or whatever. Sure. But what I realized through all these mentors that I met and then through the, the stuff you know, the study of psychology and then even in my own life doing things poorly, <laughs> um, you'll never regret doing, you'll, you'll never regret doing something more than not right, right. doing something. Right. There's science behind that. There's social proof behind that. But, but intellectually we can understand that it's, it's literally psychology. Like your brain wants closed loops. And when you don't do something, you don't have an end of the story. And that's why whenever you don't say I love you or you don't take a chance on that job or you don't start that business or you don't, you know, call a friend that you missed or whatever. And no. you, that's why the what ifs and the coulda, woulda, shouldas and whatever last forever. They literally last your whole life yeah. because the brain, even though it knows intellectually that an end is never coming, <laughs> it wants to close that loop. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That's the that's the, that's the source of more pain than. Yeah. Than yeah. Then. So, then oh, I, you know, I, I tell wouldn't. people. Yeah, I tell people that all the time and they're like, oh my God, you're right. And it's it's really empowered a lot of people that I've worked with to then make what would otherwise look like the hard decision look really, really easy. Because people yeah. are like, oh, you're so brave. Like, <laughs> they tell me, I hear that all the time. You're so brave like to take this chance. And I'm like, it was scarier not to try. Like It was scarier to imagine living the rest of my life making those same mistakes and getting into crappy jobs and being too afraid to leave that I get fired. Like that was scarier than I'm just going to see if it works. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, like there's 
always, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Like, There's always, you can go back to misery. You can you always to. go back. You can always go back to the job you had before. Almost always. Or some, doing something similar. Well, this is awesome. I, I, I do. I appreciate you being on. Yay. Thanks so much for having this. me. Sure so fun. Reach out, reach out to, to Tracy. Please, I'd love to hear from you. Again, it's Tracy at TracyTim.com. And if you want to get signed up for our email list, all you have to do, this is very simple for you on your phone, because I know you're on your phone, always on your phone, is text the number 44222 with my name as all one word, Tracy Tim, T-R-A-C-Y-T-I-M-M, 44222. And you'll get signed up for our email list, and you can get all these goodies that we talked about today and uh, hop on a clarity call with me. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks so much. You're welcome. If you're in the Dallas area, let's connect in person. I'm at the Coffee House Cafe on Preston and Frankfurt every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. hosting an awesome meetup where we talk business, startups, and tech. It's an amazing room of people to network with. And most weeks what we do is we dig in and mastermind for the folks in the room and connect everyone to the resources they need to grow. I'll see you there. Thanks so much for Tracy for for sharing so much of her story um, with us and just just a phenomenal journey to, to kind of that whole winding path to get to where she is. I just I, I love stories like that um, and then especially leading to, to what she's created today, which I think is is really amazing. So make sure you reach out Tracy at tracytim.com and um, you know make connection and, and especially if you or somebody you know is in that position. Um, that you're just not quite fitting in right now and you know there's something else for you out there. Um, have that conversation with her. Uh, I, I think you'll be glad that you did. If you like episodes like this, make sure you subscribe here on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, if you will. Helps us get found in that whole wonderful ecosystem. And we'll see you on the next one. It's Saturday night. It was Saturday night and I'm feeling kind of silly Winter coat on cause the air was chilly But I'ma make my way out to the record spot Gotta find some new breaks for the beats to rock I gotta come with the flavor like some lifesavers On now and later's Dr. Beatmaker If I'm a player it's like your tape deck And if you miss the gig then take a rain check Stacks of wax piled high to the ceiling Need a U-Haul truck if I would think of